Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Well, I'm going to talk about it for a moment because it's the only thing you've probably seen if you've watched the news this week. This week at age 41, Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest stars in the history of, of the NBA, along with his 13-year-old, 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven other people perished in a helicopter crash last Sunday. It seems like people have talked endlessly about this in the news and about Kobe Bryant and people have been gathering. If you've seen the news out to Staples Center in LA, you guys know if you know me that I am a, a huge basketball fan. I love basketball. I played it. I coached it. It's, it's one of my favorite things. It's just, it's natural in my family. I, I've joked about it before. At, when March Madness came, my mother shut down the house because she was not going to do anything but watch basketball during that period of time. My dad and I were on our own to eat. We, I, I love basketball, and I, and I too, were, I was a big fan of Kobe Bryant, and everyone this week has been asking the same question. Why, why all the fanfare? I mean, it, it's a very sad thing, but I mean, it's, it's been almost like what happens when a president passes away. We've had great athletes pass away. I mean, I think of Muhammad Ali, other athletes that have gone ill and passed away, and yet why has Kobe Bryant gotten all this coverage? I think there's a couple reasons for it that bear into what we're talking about today. First of all, he was an athlete in his prime, and he retired, and he was becoming a a very successful in his own right. He'd won an Emmy and a Grammy, and those who had cheered for him and watched him, who were his fans, are, you know, because he passed away so young, they're they're the middle of America. They're the center of adulthood at this point. They are the people who are tuning in and watching that, and they're the ones that are mourning. But I think beyond that, it's about his story. With great success, with great drive, he became a fantastic athlete, but he also, as a great celebrity, had a lot of public brokenness in his life, in his home, in his marriage, and yet he handled it so differently than many celebrities and many athletes. He built a successful home. He became a different man after that happened. Something changed in him and in his heart. He became devoted to his family, to his marriage, and in a deeper way to his faith. He was an ardent Catholic and attended Mass regularly. Even the morning of the tragedy, he and his daughter, before they went to the gym for basketball that day, they attended Mass early that morning. He was a man dedicated to his faith, and I I pray that he knew Jesus Christ as a Savior. We're not going to get into doctrinal and denominational differences, but People ask me, how are people saved? I say, by one way, by confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in their heart that God raised him from the dead and you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's the only way. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But he's someone who dealt with a lot of hurt and a lot of brokenness, and he had to decide, as we all have to decide, what is ultimately important? What is valuable? What is worth fighting for in this life? And he had a quote that I thought was pretty powerful. He said, pain doesn't tell you when you ought to stop. And he meant this in terms of athletic endeavors. He meant this in terms of life, hardship, difficulty, whatever. He said, pain doesn't tell you when you ought to stop. Pain is the little voice in your head that tries to hold you back. Because it knows if you continue you will change. Now, if you're like me, you instantly think of a variety of ways that could apply in your life. 
But what about in the depths of your soul? We live in a difficult world where hard things happen. People pass away unexpectedly. Tragedy. People grapple with it, try to understand it in terms of their own mortality when someone that seems to have everything is suddenly gone. But yet there are many good things where God's grace is evident in the world around us, where people get second chances, where they make changes, where they are different people. Today, in the life of the church, we're going to look into this in our world. What does it mean that as we struggle, as we seek to serve God in the midst of a dark and difficult world, where there is pain, where there is uncertainty, where we don't know how much time we have on this earth, what truly matters as we seek to be God's people in this world? What is the most important thing? Have you evaluated your own life? This week I've heard people say over and over, don't wait till it's too late to do the things that matter. Today we're going to look in God's Word as we seek to understand more of what it means to start serving Christ more readily in our lives. Paul, the great apostle, he understood pain. He understood persecution, uncertainty, hardship. If there was anybody that could live into the term, life is not fair, it was Paul. But yet he also understood God's grace. He has seen believers suffer for their faith and go through difficulty. He too was suffering for what he believed in Jesus Christ. And you see, he knew what it was like to have everyone be aware of his own mistakes. Paul was once Saul, the great persecutor of the church. And yet, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was changed. He was blinded by the light, the radiance of God's glory, and he was made different. He had new hope, a new name. He was now Paul, and he had a new perspective. And he became that devoted servant of Jesus. And yet, Paul shared that even in serving Christ, there was pain, there was difficulty. So today, we're going to look at our own past and our own lives, and we're going to see sometimes there's pain and there's regret. But yet, sometimes in our present, when we do what's right, we know that even though God is with us, there is pain and difficulty even in our present. How do we shine forth the light of Christ? in terms of our lives, in terms of who we are, who we were, and who we are yet to be in Jesus Christ. We're going to go to God's Word here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But I want you all to consider one question. What in your life does God need to change? What in your heart needs to be transformed? However painful it may be, what does God have to do in your life? What is yet to be fundamentally changed in you that you would belong to Jesus. If you are called as one of Christ's followers, if your heart belongs to Jesus today, you are called to be a servant. What needs to change in you and in your life that you would be able to bear the light of Christ to a dark world, that you would be able to stand despite the pain and difficulty to belong more completely to Jesus today? Let's open up this morning. We're going to look at God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-12. through 12. It's on page 1024 in the Bibles in your seats. It'll be up here on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. Let's read from God's Word this morning. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully. 
or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul knew hardship. He knew uncertainty. He knew pain. He knew suffering. But he knew something else. He knew the mercy of the cross, the transforming power of the gospel, that power that believers experience that they know when who they were is not who they are and when who they are is not who they will yet be. It's a power that both defines our lives, and it guides our moments in our days that we would be something more, someone different. What's that mean? In these first few verses, Paul reminds us that servants of Jesus Christ are changed people when they are changing people. It's the nature belonging to Jesus. We aren't who we once were. We're not yet who we will become. Now, if you're like me, Sometimes thinking about who you once were, it can hurt. There are things you'd rather not remember. Things you've said, things you've done, things you've even just thought. Last week we talked about this idea of pride and how being one of Christ's servants, we have no pride. We have to put it aside. And pride doesn't always look like what we think it does. There is the obvious arrogance of pride. We all know that. But pride can be subtle. It can appear passive. We can even appear very humble, but in reality, like, I'm going to talk really loud. I think my mic's going out a little here. There we go. You guys can hear me now. What's it look like? Verses one and two of this passage. We aren't defined by our past or our sins. We're defined by who Christ is and what he has done for us. Look here. Since we have this ministry, God has given us this ministry because we were shown mercy. We do not give up. Instead, here's the change, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully 
or distorting the Word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you're very aware of your need for a Savior. You are. But you're aware also that you've been saved. That God has come and He has captivated your heart and your life. And so this term mercy, this undeserved grace that flows down from God, it's a majestic term for us as Christians. It's a defining term for us as Christians. It changes everything. Because of God's mercy, because of what it's done for us, we will never give up belonging to Him. It's that irresistible grace of God that we talk about. It's going to define our lives. It's going to change who we are and how we act and how other people see us. In fact, it'll be evident to everyone around us. The church of Jesus Christ needs to remember this. Individual believers need to remember this. As families, we need to remember this. As married couples, we need to remember this. God's grace, God's mercy should be evident in who we are and should be changing us so that we are not who we were. We're becoming something different. What does that look like for you? Because look what it says here. It says that it should be completely obvious. We don't distort it. So many churches today, and I'm not here to throw stones, but churches are not built on marketing strategies. They're not built on awesome pastors. This is good news for you. It is. Elders. Ruling elders, pastors, teaching elders, we are to lead the way, but God's mercy is evident in all of you and how we live and how we conduct ourselves, even in how we are willing to be honest about that we don't have it all together. In Paul's day, there were plenty of people in the church, he's referring to them here, who were trying to present something different than the gospel, that God's grace is sufficient for messed up people like you and me. That's not what the church is built on. It's not what it's about. And when God gets a hold of our lives, we don't have anything to hide behind. We're just like, yeah, I'm a hot mess and Jesus saved me. And that means I'm not who I was, but I'm going to be something more. And God's going to guide me in that. And that light that I have inside of me, it shines forth, not because I have it all together, but because I don't. Paul understood that. I think when we see people on display in our world today, we're not captivated just by the amazing things they've done or their resume. We're captivated by the fact that they can even, in the midst of their brokenness, show some humility. That they can just say, here's who I am. Look at this. This idea that God's grace drives us to be different by God's power. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Now that's not just Paul, that's all of you. The leader should lead, but we all minister. That's how people find Jesus. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy. Because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. When you know Jesus Christ, when he captivates your heart, you're not ignorant anymore. You can't shut that out. It changes us. To be something different. Think about what God has changed in you. Think about it. Think about how hard it is sometimes as God is changing you. 
This sanctifying process, this being made more God's person, this holiness process, it's painful, it's slow, it's imperfect because we're imperfect, but yet God is always present. It's continual. And as we seek after Jesus, we find that people, they see the light of the gospel in us, not because We have it all together, but because it's obvious that we don't. And yet, God is at work in us. And they see us as we work together. We're in a world that's dark. We're in a world that has spiritual battle, that has conflict. We see it all around us. We see it within us. Think about your own life this week. Where have you seen God at work in difficult circumstances? It may not even be something you'd want anyone to know about here. That's okay. God knows that, the Spirit knows that, but think about in your own life, where has God been at work in the stress and the difficulty? For us as Christians, how we treat one another in the church, how we treat others out in the world around us, reveals the reality that Christ has a hold of our hearts and our lives. And this world is darkened. There is a spiritual battle. Look what it says here, verses 3 and 4. If our gospel is veiled, the good news that Jesus Christ came, we talked about, it's veiled. It's veiled to those. There's like a covering on the hearts and the eyes to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People always come to me and they say, I can't share my faith. I don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. God's Word tells us that none of us have it together. If you know that, you are prepared to share the good news of the Gospel. I don't have it together, but Jesus Christ is more than I could ever ask for, imagine, that I could ever deserve, and He has a hold of me. But there is spiritual darkness. There's spiritual blindness. You're not going to lead anybody to Jesus because you are supernaturally special, but because the Spirit of the living God dwells in you. Hearts are changed because God works through us, despite us, to change lives so that others would know Jesus Christ. He drives us to change, and people need to see us at work, that God is using us, despite ourselves, to share the good news. How do you do that? How do you share the radiance that God God gives to us in the Spirit that this passage talks about? How do you do that? How do you make Christ know? I want to think about my own life this week. I want you to think about yours. Where have you been able to show that Christ is your Lord in your life? Or where could you? I'm not saying you have to stand up on your desk at work. There might be a time when you have to do that. I doubt that's going to happen to everybody all the time. But what about that person that no one talks to? What about someone who you know is going through an especially difficult time? Have you gone over and just put your hand on your shoulder and said, Hey, how are you today? What can I pray for? How are you doing? Do you want to eat lunch with me? How about a friend you know that's struggling? Why don't you just call them up? Our elders have been talking about this. You can't visit everyone all the time, but what if you just call them up? How are you? Send them a message. Text them. Whatever you do, send them a message. 
What message does your life share with others? How we treat others, how we love others show that God's mercy, that God's grace, God's gospel, the light of salvation is at work in us. It's funny, I heard a story. It's almost football season's over. Now we're getting to baseball season. Think about that. Think about it. Little league season will be here before you know it. I heard about a coach one time. He asked a boy, do you know what cooperation is? The boy said, yes, sir. Do you know what it is to be a part of a team? And he said, yes, sir. Good, the coach said. Do you understand that what really matters is when we win, we win as a team, and when we lose, we lose as a team? The little boy nodded again. The coach said again, so when you're at bat and a pitch is called a strike, or if you are called out running to first, then I don't want you to argue or cuss out the, the umpire. Do you understand that? The little boy nodded. He said, I would never do that. And the coach smiled at him. He said, good. Now go up in the stands and tell your mother that. <laughs> it stings because we know it's true. People need to see the light in us. And sometimes it's hard to share it because of what we're going through in our own lives. Satan tries to darken in hearts and we all focus on ourselves. It's so easy to do. It's so natural for us to do. And yet God is calling us to work together as a team to know what is right and what is good and to have by His power the strength and the courage to go out and do it. It's a spiritual battle. But we have each other to work together, to pray together, and to hold each other up that we as God's people would proclaim the gospel to a world that is hurting. We exist to make Jesus known. To proclaim the gospel to a world that is perishing. That's what this passage tells us. To make Christ known to all people in all places. We are not proclaiming ourselves. This isn't about us. But Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants. There's that word again. For Jesus' sake, not our own. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God that spoke light out of darkness spoke spiritual rebirth into us. His Spirit dwells within us. That's why we exist, to proclaim Jesus Christ to a sick and sin-saturated world. To lift Christ up on high that people wouldn't see us. It's not about us, it's about Him. Being servants is honestly why all the church of Jesus Christ exists. To see the Spirit of God, the light of Christ, at work through us, that others would be called out of darkness and see the radiance of God's glory. That veil would be lifted from their eyes and they would see Jesus. How does that work? I said we get to why isn't that working? What, what's the problem? Why isn't this happening? We've been building up this idea of servanthood. We, we stand on God's truth. We pray and pursue God's heart and God's will. We pray with conviction and ask God to guide us. We lay aside our pride. We humble ourselves and become servants. And why doesn't it just happen? We have this power. We have this glorious, transforming gospel power within us. God's Spirit dwells in us. Why does it not just happen? I think for us as God's servants, we don't consider what the gospel means and how much it costs, what the gospel requires of us. 
I've said it before, I, I will say it again, serving Jesus, it costs us everything. That's what Paul is communicating here in this passage. That's what God's Spirit is convicting him of in his own life. This is what he's sharing. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. That passage there, it talks about being a clay pot, a a jar of clay. Being a servant in a darkened world. Getting our hands dirty and getting involved in the difficulty and the pain and sin in the world around us. It's a lot easier to throw out a barb on the internet, to point at one group of people and blame it on them, to just be angry. It's not the church's call. I have here, this is an oil lamp. It's, it's very old. It's from biblical times. Pastor David gave me this. And I keep it as a reminder, it's, this is what they'd fill with oil, and it's just an empty clay vessel. It's imperfect. And clay pots in the Bible, earthen vessels, they were purpose-made for certain things. This one is made to provide light, like our passage talks about. This clay pot has lasted a long time. But usually in the Bible, they only lasted for a couple of years. They were disposable. They were not fancy. They were not special. They were built whether to pour water or to hold things or to be a light in a darkened room. Whatever they were built for, they were purpose-built and designed to be fragile, frail. They formed cracks and eventually they would crumble oftentimes. And yet that's the metaphor that God has chosen to describe us. Earthen vessels, some of which even bear light. Our sin nature, it affects us. We, we don't like pain, we don't like difficulty, we, we don't like to deal with the reality of our world around us. We'd much rather it be all our way, but we know better. I think the reason God often doesn't use us is because that change, that transformation that is required, that recognition that we don't know how long we have and we're purpose-built for something, and until we give in to that, everything else just doesn't seem like it works. Until we're sharing that light, until we're illuminating that darkness, oftentimes we don't ever know what we're really here for. Has God ever used you in a way where you said, man, that was the best feeling ever, but the next day you just go on with your life? I think we've all done that. It's hard to change. It's painful to change. It's costly. Our flaws and our weaknesses are revealed. It's a funny thing, though. It's a funny thing. I think Kobe Bryant had a point. Pain doesn't tell you when you ought to stop. It's that little voice in your head that tries to hold you back because it knows if you continue, you will change. That's sin. We think we shouldn't have pain. And yet, look what Christ says. If you look at passages like John 16, 22, he says, I'm not promising you no pain, but take heart. I'm with you and I've overcome the world. The darkness around us, we're made to illuminate it, but only that light only shows through us often 
when we let it out, and when we let it out, when that light shows out of us as those jars of clay, it's often because the cracks in us, the weaknesses in us, the broken places in us are often where that light shines forth. I think we need to understand that. We need to accept that as we're God's servants. We need to accept that sometimes when God uses us the most effectively, it's when life is hurting us and when it's hard. That's what Paul's expressing here in this passage. He says, we carry the death of Jesus in our body. We understand what the cross is. It's dying to self and living for God. So that the life of Jesus would be displayed in our body, in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our need for Jesus. But look here. When God does that, when we allow Him, when we allow His light to shine through those cracks, for Jesus' sake, it says, look at that. Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal, our broken, our frail humanity. So then, death is at work in us. Yeah, we're still sinners, but yet by God's grace, life, it's present and it's at work in you. In these moments, God changes us to be the most like Him. Today, the question is simple, friends. Will you follow Jesus as He walks along beside you? Would you walk the path that He's walked, knowing His perfect power, His Spirit resides in temporary, frail, broken vessels like us? But yet when we do that, we bear the light of God's mercy, God's grace, and God's glory to a world that is sick with sin and desperate to know the truth. That's our calling as God's servants, that we would bear the glorious light of salvation to a world around us. Dr. Tim Keller puts it like this, Jesus lost all of his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound, nailed, and nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took so that now all suffering that comes in your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous because the radiance of Christ would flow out of you. Friends, wherever you are in your life today, if you're struck down, you're not destroyed. If you are walking in darkness, you're perplexed, you will not be forgotten because Christ is going to walk with you. And no matter what you and I face in our lives, God will use that, even the cracks, even the brokenness in us, to show his radiance and his glory to a dying world. That's what it means for us to bear the glorious light of Christ to a world that is so in need. Let's pray. Father, this day, that we would know what it means to belong more completely to you, that we would be your people. God, that we would know that no matter what we face, you are with us, you are guiding us, and that you will use us to bear your light into the darkness of this world, that we are called, we are equipped. Even in those painful things, God, you are often the most at work so that we would know what it means to be your servants. God, use us, change us, help us to remember no matter what we face this week, that you are with us, and that you will use us 
as temporary jars of clay, as broken, cracked vessels to radiate your light into the darkness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.